Hello, friends, and welcome to the StoryForge podcast. I'm Lyle Smith, your host, and today is kind of exciting for me. It's my first ever follow-up conversation. Uh, Peggy Doherty DeLong, that's Peggy, that's Dr. Peggy DeLong, psychologist, appeared on my very first episode where we talked about gratitude as a practice and her life story, or at least a few of the stories that were instrumental in making her the person she is today. And today, on this episode, I have a conversation we recorded a few days ago about her new book that's coming out on November the 11th. It's called Feeling Good, 35 Proven Ways to Happiness Even During Tough Times. And it is a wonderful read. Uh, It's a great reference, and what I suspect will continue to be an important reminder, certainly for me, of what we can do specifically to adjust our perspective uh, to make life more joyful every single day. It was a good talk, and my son Aiden makes a brief appearance. Uh, I really enjoyed connecting with her again, which is ironically one of the chapters in the book, Connecting with Other People. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Here's my talk with Dr. Peggy. But uh, I want to say, first off, congratulations. You are my first follow up interview. Wow. <laughs> Uh, not to mention, um, congratulations on the book because it's, it is, it is an achievement, uh, it's an achievement and a half to write one, uh, let alone to get a second one out there that's so unique and so different from the first one. Um, anyway, when la- last time we spoke, uh, you were working hard trying to rethink your practice in the time of COVID. And you were still seeing patients in your downtown office and uh, trying to be as safe as possible doing that. And you were working on the new book. And so, you know, you weren't busy at all, really, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, So how are things now? Well, so much has changed. Uh, I no longer have my practice in town Mm -hmm. because uh, for a while people just didn't want to come in at all. And then when people started, they wanted Zoom um, sessions. Right. So I was just having a hard time paying for an office when I had no idea what the future held. And those who wanted to be seen was through um, video for a variety of different reasons. Right. And uh, so thankfully, I have a home office. Mm -hmm. And it used to be just my writing spot. And I would, you know, write reports for the state of New Jersey um, for good 15 years or so. Uh, 100% of my practice was mm-hmm. doing forensic evaluations. Right. And that also changed. After 18 years, I declined the offer to renew my contract. Wow. So that was a huge decision for me in the midst of COVID to um, really just do work that brings me joy. Fantastic. And listening to stories about um, child abuse, you know, it's a very worthwhile endeavor. And I feel like I dedicated so much of my heart and soul to helping children. Um, but after listening to over 4,000 stories, my heart just couldn't do it anymore. Right. And especially when I feel that um, I'm just getting this other calling to help people foster joy and, and gratitude. So it's c- kind of a complete 180 going in a different direction um, with stuff that really feels good to do. Uh, so if I continue doing this, I will never work a day in my life. I will never need to retire. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, I'm glad. Uh, that's hard. That's got to be hard, though, because I know that was, like you said, that was 100% of your, your your practice for a long time. 
and to just, you know, what did it feel like actually making, making that call? And you said, you know, I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to do it this just other thing. It was, it was terrifying, and it's really taken six years to get here. So mm -hmm. it started with my heart knowing better than my brain. So <laughs> back in 2014 was when it started, and it started with dread, a sense of dread waking up and hating the work that I was doing and really making me physically ill. Right. Um, and then the quality of my reports went down, right. so then my referrals went down. Right. Um, almost like to the point where I didn't have enough time to call people back to tell them I couldn't fit them in to not getting any calls like just just so quickly and it was very scary and uh, at first I blamed it on other people um, it was their fault that they didn't want to call me anymore but what I realized it was my my heart knew better than than uh, for what I needed for the rest of my life and my professional right. life and I couldn't say no because I had bills to pay. I had the mortgage to pay. Right. So I couldn't just say no to this work. Um, it was almost so like, like my brain. Uh, so I just had to write crummy reports in order for it to, to happen. <laughs> and it wasn't like I put anybody in jeopardy, uh, these children. Who, no. it just the quality went down. Right. So they weren't getting the, the product that they're used to from me. Right. So... Um, I had to find something else to do. And that is when I started speaking about gratitude mm -hmm. and I reached out to local libraries and uh, just word of mouth, more and more people were attending these workshops. Uh, so, and then I started my therapy practice or restarted. I did it years ago mm -hmm. and the forensic work took over and I got back into um, doing therapy and really just focusing on positive psychology. And it's been a six year, um, a journey to get to where I am to the point where when that renewal came up, I was able to confidently say, no, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, and so it took six years. It wasn't like it happened overnight. Right. Um, so slowly building my, um, you know, with the books and my bracelet business and right. I had an on online community. So all of that took a lot of time to develop and grow right. um, to, uh, to the point where I was able to say no without, being so scared like where where's that uh money going to come from to pay the mortgage <laughs> right right i mean that's but that's a that's a big change and it's a it's a and even even over six years it's a it's a big change it's not uh and to finally make that decision say okay um you know and and to actually be connected to that that thought of doing something that you love uh that we all you know think about <laughs> but it doesn't always present itself uh, or you don't, you don't always go out and claim it. Um, right, right. And that was probably one of the biggest challenges for me because, you know, we grew up in the same town mm -hmm. and I think we were uh, just in this culture where work had to be draining and hard and painful. Yeah. Um, and you just needed to be the best. And it, I it felt it sometimes fostered competition over collaboration. Right. Um, and, you know, one of my father's favorite sayings was money doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> and, you know, he grew up uh, in poverty and didn't want that for his children. And he, you know, he really had to work hard for his medical degree. Um, and I think that was just what was the stories that were, we were told. Right. Uh, so it took a huge shift in mindset for me to learn that you can make an income doing what you love. Mm -hmm. And 
it's so rewarding. That's it. That was really that. That was one of the the things that kind of caught me about the book. And we'll talk more about the book as we go. But um, you know, sort of your bat, your dad's backstory. Um, I didn't. I wasn't aware of it really. I, I you know I knew him a little bit growing up, and you know we grew up together. But um, I wasn't aware of of where he came from, where he grew up. Uh, and it turns out you guys. Uh, moved to Burnersville just a few years, maybe three years before we did. Um, so, you know, did he talk about that a lot uh, growing up? You, were you aware of that? Was that one of his lessons to you guys? Oh, it was absolutely one of his lessons. And, you know, I, I think I get my work ethic from my my father and my mother, you know, growing up in a working class family. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but my father had to overcome more obstacles, I believe, just yeah. Uh, you know, um, from, you know, in the, in the book, I talk about how his bedroom was given to a stranger, to a tenant, right. so that his parents could take in some income. Yep. Um, and that, uh, you know, going to, um, you know, he finally ma- was able to make it to college. And then, but within that college, he felt so different from everybody else who grew up in environments of privilege. Right. So that he, he continued to have to work and you know, be a, a host at various restaurants and, and things that he loved. Right. While other people were out having fun, he had to work. He had to work. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but so that my my great worth work ethic, I think, comes from my parents' stories, and right. I, I um and I and I love that, and I'm proud of that. Mm-hmm. That I've always that I've always had a job, and I love that I am completely self sufficient. I don't. Uh, it's very comforting, as I think, for um as a woman to know I don't need to rely on anybody. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, I wish I knew a little bit more about balance uh, along the way. <laughs> That's always the thing. They talk about work-life balance. Again, if you're, if you're doing something that, that you enjoy, that you're good at, um, that you like doing, um, I think it's, it's, it's a perceived balance. You know, I mean, you don't mind that you're doing it all the time. And you have that moment where you can take off and say, like, uh, you know, we've been dealing with e-learning here. Uh, my son Aiden is 10 in, in the fifth grade. And, um, you know, he comes in. <laughs> he knows all my clients now <laughs> because he comes in and waves uh, and makes a point of, you know, he really wants to come in and wave and say hello to everybody uh, whenever I'm – because he's curious about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I take those, you know – and I let him do it too, because it's. I think that's that's my choice uh, of balance in my home, is that if I didn't do that, I would have just that much less time with him, or or he might think that I'm, you know, not interested in what he's doing. Uh, mm-hmm. And in the end, I mean, all, everybody I talk to, and my clients, and the people and colleagues I work with, uh, they're all kind of really happy. He's a, he's a happy kid, so it's uh, they find him kind of entertaining. Back to your dad, because uh, he was. Um, you know, he, he came from where he came from and he, he, he worked incredibly hard to earn his medical degree and start his own practice. And he was a, he's a, you know, career mental health professional. Um, did he, did he speak to you in professional terms around about that? Only as I was um, older in uh, college and, and really studying psychology, but up right. until then, and especially the way that he taught life lessons, mm-hmm. it, it was if you, you didn't even know that you were being taught. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I learned the healing power of nature. 
It wasn't that he said, oh, you know, go out in nature, it'll be good for you. We just incorporated family walks and bike rides into right. our life for, for, um, for as, as long as I can remember. Um, or, you know, just taking time for yourself. He, mm-hmm. he was such a great role model for self-care. Right. Um, and it never appeared selfish. It was it just he, he valued himself and his um, well-being and mental health and was a really great example for how to uh, take care of yourself. So his that's what his greatest lessons, and he did it in a way that was not preachy, um, that was uh, no shoulds involved, no judgment, right. um, just uh, loving kindness. So, you know, we're getting right into the book already. It's titled Feeling Good, 36 Proven Ways to Happiness Even During Tough Times. And so, you know, of course, everything, when we say tough times today, um, the thing that immediately comes to mind is, is you know, this the pandemic we're living through and how the impact of that on everyone, not just, um, you know, uh, pivoting their businesses, dealing with unemployment, dealing with, you know, sickness, God help us. Um, but that's not really what inspired the book. Um, what, what brought you to this particular book and your approach to it? Sure. Well, it really started with a website blog back in 2014 when I had mm-hmm. that uh, crisis in my practice and I had right. to figure out what the heck am I, <laughs> I going to do. I, I hired a, a website um, developer and he said, you really need a blog. So that's what that, this was my very first blog that mm-hmm. really started as a short article. So when I thought about what I could write about, it, um, I thought about the question that I have received my whole life, and that question is, what do you do to be so happy? <laughs> because I've heard this my whole life, I thought, well, maybe I, I really should answer it and think hard and fat, like really closely about what I do to be so happy. Why do I give people this impression? And then it, it even became stronger um, after I experienced tremendous tragedy, after mm-hmm. my fiancé died and then my father died six weeks later. Mm-hmm. I still got that question from right. people who knew the, my loss and people who didn't know the, the loss. Uh, so I knew I was really on to something to even dis- in the midst of my grief, be giving people the impression that I had some secret to happiness. Yeah. Uh, but the beautiful part is that it's all things that I learned from childhood that were either free or that, you know, that um, little, no cost, um, very, didn't take much time or energy. So I, I like, that's why these are to be used during tough times. And the book was really finished before COVID. Right. It was um, pretty much done in February, um, or maybe even a little bit earlier. Um, but then once COVID came, it just seemed a little bit tone deaf. So I reread the whole thing, edited it, um, added some stories so that people could really uh, relate to um, the pandemic. It's a, a you know global issue that we're dealing with. It's affected everybody in one way or another. So I, I thought it was uh, a worthwhile endeavor to me go, for me to go through the entire book and um, really related to what's going on in the world. So right. these, are, these are lessons that I learned in childhood and continued to, uh, to use throughout my life. Um, and also I love that my publisher challenged me to find related rele- uh, research to every claim. So it's not just me and I'm not just giving a story about myself or a client or a friend. Uh, these are all uh, backed by research and psychology. So the, the entire book is um, very rich with um, extra material for people to read up on the related research. 
That's that's one of the things I really liked about it, and and um, I, I I liked the concept when you when you described it to me initially, and then after having read it, I you just sort of fall into the um, the method that you're using to to go through each of these things, and and basically it's it's thirty six more or less you know sort of tips on how to how to be happy or remind yourself to be happy or how to you know, remember how to be happy or, or any version of these things and, um, and how you connect it to, um, not just the research of, um, you know, yeah, if you smile more, this is going to produce this, you know, and there's studies about that and why it works and why it's effective. And that's all amazing stuff. But then you, you layer it with, with an actual story about, you know, how, how that's helped you or someone else or someone in your family. And it's been, it's been a really, and it really paints a vivid picture of what these things are and how you're supposed to do it. And that's what I really liked about it. Thank you. Mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly Yeah. Cause it's, it's not hard. Some of them, they're not hard. They're, not they're really, they're, they're uh, sort of deceptively simple. Yes. Um, but there are things, you know, and we're, I'm not going to go through all 36 of them, but I'll, I'll pick out a few that I liked and, and, you know, maybe you can talk about a couple of things that, that have meant the most to you, but, um, you know, just to start off that, that interesting thing, cause I know you, you've said this to me before is, is this people ask you, God, why are you so happy? What do you do to be so happy? And I remember you from a, a very young age, you and, uh, Biffy Ketterson laughing more than any humans I've ever, still to this day, uh, of anybody I've ever known. Uh, so I have that feeling about you too, from a, from a very young age. Um, you know, and I don't think it's, it doesn't, I don't think of it as anything, you know, mystical. I just think of it as kind of a joyful thing, a joyful memory. That's funny, because one of my very clear memories with Biffy is the two of us sitting in freshman orientation for high school. It was supposed to be fine. Right. And we just got the worst case of the giggles ever, <laughs> just by being in each other's presence. Right. Um, a dear friend, I'm, you know, we've been close since first grade, and she's still one of my very best friends. So right. I'm, I'm blessed. <laughs> That's very good because I remember, uh, you know, Peggy uh, uh, from Margaret and um, Biffy from Elizabeth, and being. I remember thinking, wait, what? What, are we, wait, what kind of names are those? I don't know. As, as a little kid, you know. Uh, and just connecting all of that in my brain for some reason to, you know, laughter and smiling. That was great. Oh, that's great. Uh, so that, you know, and that's something, we talked a little bit about this. I'm not going to go into the, um, the, the, your story of tragedy because we talked about it at length last time. And if anybody wants to listen to it, they can go listen to the first interview. Um, but, uh, you know, you had that experience and you found a way out of it through, um, gratitude, basically, and, and, and connections and, 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 you know, talking and walking with friends. Um, and I just, I, one thing comes to mind, I, I remember hearing somebody say at one time, I forget who it was, um, but making, making a very clear delineation between joy and happiness and saying, don't pursue happiness because happiness is fleeting. Pursue joy because joy is not the same thing. Joy is deeper. And I wonder how you think about that kind of an idea. Yeah, I, I think the same thing. That um, and, and I believe that joy can be fostered in the midst of grief and tough times. Um, so happiness 
Yes, it is fleeting. And when we are constantly seeking it, it can be quite disappointing. And it's right. not even natural to um, be in a state of happiness all the time. In fact, uh, one of my, uh, I always like to encourage people to feel your pain, feel the anger, frustration, sadness. Uh, and, and the more that we're able to process and experience our painful emotions, I believe it's in direct proportion to our ex ability to experience joy and the positive okay. emotions. Um, but the great thing is that we can experience joy on our worst days. Right. And we can cultivate it, that. And that's what this book is all about. It's uh, methods that work on a great day. But what I really want people to discover is that these are methods that work on your worst day, when you don't have energy, when you have no money, when, uh, when life is falling apart. You right. can do one of these 36 ideas and feel better right and it's and th little things you know and I, I don't want to reduce it to things that make you smile but there there are things that alleviate that feeling or 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 elevate your thinking um or make you filter it out for a few minutes so you're you can just breathe and and absorb a nice view yes um really make a difference especially in those times absolutely yeah, and I, I like that you just, um, I think what you were referring to just now was the awe factor, how when we're out in nature, it's the awe factor that suspends us in space and time where we lose sense of our worries of the day mm -hmm. simply by seeing something beautiful in nature. And the, the res I love that the research supports that and actually what goes on in our brains at the time um, and, and why it helps to alleviate rumination and makes us feel better simply to be out in nature. Right. And it's, it's, you know, to, to kind of compare it to, you know, exercise or even learning, I guess, but, but in, in exercise, what you do, uh, like when you're lifting weights or you're, or, you know, uh, any, any sporting activity where you're trying to get better at something, a big part of it is, is you, you put that pressure on the system and you work the muscle really hard and you, to the point where it really starts breaking down. And then the biggest part of, of that, getting stronger is is the rest you take between your exercises you know between your days of hard effort uh to let it, the muscle grow and get stronger uh or heal um maybe in this kind of a context mm -hmm. yeah and gratitude works very similarly um gratitude is like a muscle and the more you practice it the stronger it gets that's what I, I love that behind the scenes what's going on in our brains that we can't see but brain scans can measure all it are the new neural pathways that are formed when right. you practice gratitude on a regular basis so over the course of time it becomes easier and easier to notice the good and pay less attention to the negative but what's e what's even more beautiful is to not even notice it right to have it not even be in your awareness simply by focusing on the good and thinking about what you're grateful for. That's, it's really sort of amazing. And it's hard to do for some people, I know, but it's, uh, it's hard to do for me from time to time. But it, it, to me, since I've been talking you know, to you and we talked about Megan earlier, who was a previous uh, guest, uh, my last guest actually on the, on the podcast, um, and how much of it, 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 to me, it goes right back to that it gives your brain that time to sort of, um, rest and heal and, and, and then you talk about neural pathways and, and establishing all that and that's to me that's me understanding that as healing and getting stronger I guess yes mm -hmm. that's absolutely one way to look at it getting stronger 
and it's and it's healing in a way that 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 is what feels good right you feel better through that healing of being a more positive thinker right and the, the tough part is the human condition is to think negatively that's just part it's something called negativity bias and uh it's the way our brains are hardwired as human beings to always go to the negative in fact, one study found in 2005, um, National Science Foundation, that 80% of our thoughts are negative for the average person. 80% of our thoughts are negative. I know a few people like that. <laughs> and 95% are the same as the day before. Oh, wow. So it's no wonder we are constantly battling our negative thoughts. Right. That's the human condition. Some people are just better at um, overcoming that than others. But the great news is that everybody is capable of doing so. But one of our last and greatest human freedoms is our ability to choose our own thoughts. And that was a wonderful message that I received uh, in the book, um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Um, it was one, the first book that I read after my fiance died. And it was the best lesson uh, just to, to really believe that I had the power to choose my own thoughts. And I just read that maybe a year and a half ago. I, I, I was not familiar with it. Some, we, we, I was walking through a bookstore, my, my wife and I and her, her brother and my son were walking through a bookstore and it, it was on a shelf as a, you know, like a, a staff pick or something. And so he put the, oh, have you ever read this? And we're always trading books. So he said, here, read this. I'm like, all right. So I picked it up and I read, I was just totally bowled over by it. Mm -hmm. um, and the way, you know, cause you, you ask these questions, um, you know, how, how, how did people survive, um, the Holocaust and the death camps and all that, you know, there were people who survived it and ended up, you know, going on to live a life after that. And how did they do that? And for years, you know, you think about it, oh my God. And then I read this book and I'm like, oh wow, that's, well, that's one way. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really just a way of thinking about things that's um, sort of astonishing to me. And, and so, yeah, that, that blew me away. And it's really tied to what you're talking about here. It's just a way of, of changing your perspective, altering your perspective. Yes, that's really, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned before, never at the expense of ignoring your painful or unwanted feelings. Right. But it's a way of moving forward and just not getting stuck there because that that doesn't serve a purpose to to feel stuck in grief and and just uh, not be able to move forward. Right. Uh, positive psychology, uh, cultivating joy and gratitude are just two feel good ways to move forward. Right. That's fantastic. Um, you know, it's funny, and I'll pull out a couple that I thought were interesting. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we talked about. Um, connecting with people, connecting with friends, connecting with people you know you can talk to. Um, and it's funny because when all this this COVID stuff started happening and we, we, we stopped going out so much and uh, we have to wear masks when we do go out and um, all of that, um, I, I, I don't mind being alone most of the time. Uh, I like people. I like my friends. I like talking, uh, as you can probably tell. But I'm okay being alone most of the time. Um, uh, but with all this going on, with sort of intensity of being away from the normal stuff of the world, um, even I was like, yeah, this is a little weird, you know? And honestly, since I've started this podcast, these conversations, that's been really kind of interesting to me because it, it's 
um, even though we're not just chit-chatting about personal stuff, we're, you know, we're, we're connecting in a way that's really, you know, uh, better than not. Yes. <laughs> and even better than just on the phone, you know, it's like, yes. It's, you know. yes. Well, the, the ability to see human faces and eye contact is so helpful and important. So I'm recommending to everybody, if you have a choice of phone or Zoom and the other person is agreeable, right. do, do the Zoom or FaceTime where you can actually see faces. We, we need that. Um, but the interesting part about, uh, you know, be, being okay to be alone, um, that oftentimes people think that it's the uh, really deep, meaningful personal relationships that help with happiness and and those are great but the research shows that actually what um, is really important for all of us is the what we might call you know the, the interactions with strangers that we experience every day the, the the small talk it's no there really is no such thing as small talk huh. all that makes us feel connected to our communities and to the world right. so that might be having a brief conversation with the clerk at the grocery store or yeah. telling someone in the parking lot that they're wearing a, a nice shirt, uh, yeah. however it is to connect with strangers during the day. That is really meaningful, and we can't discount the power of that. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast of, uh, for, um, about the man who had invented the ATM, and he thought he was solving this great problem to make it easier so that people didn't have to stand online to <laughs> win the bank teller. Right. But but then over the course of time, he felt bad about it because uh, then people were losing interpersonal connection, and he felt it himself. Um, and it was interesting that I think his wife said she had never used an ATM. She vowed never to use one. She would purposefully go inside to speak with the teller. Um, and that's often something that I recommend when I'm working with people who are feeling lonely, to really pay attention to every opportunity to connect with another human being. And I, I write about that uh, in my book with my father. Right. That he, you know, as, a, as a teenager, it was embarrassing. He would talk to anybody. <laughs> um, but th that was his way of being in the world. And he always did it with joy, and he would get uh, you know, kind remarks back. Right. Um, so that my, was wife, my wife is like that. Heather's like that. She, she, she has this sort of um, indefinable uh, talent for... Um, just connecting with people. We joke about it because she's, uh, she, I, I think I told you she's an acupuncturist. She, she, so she's, she's a healer as well. And, um, but, you know, just out on any given day, she'll start a conversation with anybody. And, you know, it's like, you know, everybody is, everybody's a potential friend in that moment, you know? And uh, the, the, the sort of the flip side of that is she ends up, you know, it seems like everybody has, she's like their bartender. They, she, they, they have no problem telling her all their, all of their problems um, just because she's so open and, and outgoing and, and, you know, she listens and uh, yes. that's what mm -hmm. I tell her anyway. That's why, mm -hmm. but it's um, you know, there's, the, she has this, this um, you know, like your, like your dad, that this ability to be um, everybody's friend at any given time. And it's, it's mm -hmm. very, very uh, cool. <laughs> it can be it can be time consuming, but it's uh, it is it is it, as an adult it's it's a cool thing. I can see as a teenager that would be a bit much sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the way that he would do it sometimes, and I you know he, he's often remembered for the clown wig that he used to wear. 
um, and just his way, his silly way, way of being in the world, which, right. you know, that goofiness when I was a teen was very embarrassing. But, but now uh, people remember him uh, in a very endearing kind of way because of that goofiness. So because of that, I have a whole chapter in the book dedicated to the healing power of being goofy. And that is one of my favorites. I have that right. It says, my favorite, be goofy. And it's, uh, it's, it's tough because you, you, know, you sort of train yourself for so long. You, oh, I don't want to be seen as you know, silly or less than important or something. But, you know, it, it feels good to be goofy. It feels good. To, you know, that's why, like, some, some of, I always ask, what's your favorite movie? And, and I said, not, not, what movie do you think is the best movie ever made? What's your favorite movie? And it's almost always a really great bad movie. And that's why, you know, because <laughs> uh -huh. it's goofy. Right, right. <laughs> you know, why do people like Airplane? Or, you know, Caddyshack, because it's goofy and stupid and really dumb, yeah. and but hysterical at the same time. Yes. So. There's, there's a tremendous value to being goofy. And in order to allow ourselves to be goofy, we first need to give up perfectionism. And right. that in itself has its own benefits. Um, but I think that's almost a prerequisite to allowing yourself to be goofy. Right. Um, and I love the quote that I chose for that chapter. Um, oh, and <laughs> that would escape me. Um, by Amy Poehler, um, there's power in boo. There's power in being goofy. Something like that. Uh, I remember that. Yeah, that's it's uh, it's just a great it's a great concept because it's always you feel, uh, you know, when you're being silly or being goofy, especially when you're being goofy together. You know. Yes. yes. Uh, well, I'm glad you mentioned that. Just a quick tidbit that the research shows that couples that are goofy together mm -hmm. have more satisfying and long-lasting marriages those are those are the best moments we have when i when especially when it kind of sneaks up on you too it's it's yeah. that's that's sort of the best moment where it's like what the hell are we laughing at and you yes. just laugh and it's just just sort of sort of an authentically human moment yes and uh it it's like like again the only thing i can think of is it, your brain goes to um, nothing at all, or or just that what you're doing right then and there, mm -hmm. and and that's that's invaluable too, I think. Yes, um, and it's also often what children remember, the the goofy times. You know, I I recall like when I think about my childhood, what resonates or like just comes to mind the easiest, are the goofy moments of uh, even as an adult, um, the silly things that you know my my parents took us on a trip out west. We were all uh, I think I was 24, my younger brother was 23, mm -hmm. older brother 25, and my sister 27. So here mm -hmm. we are in our mid-20s, and we go on a two-week trip out west with our parents in a rundown van. And, <laughs> and, and it was some of the goofiest stories. Like, like similar, I remember we were out to dinner, and we could not stop laughing. Like people were staring at us just with the laughter. And my brother, there was so much dust on the van. One time my brother Brian put up his cheek to the dust, and there was an imprint of his face on <laughs> the entire trip. Um, just like silly things like that. That, right. that. Those are those connecting moments are what uh, make us feel good in the moment, but also uh, preserve wonderful memories for us to look back on and feel that connection again. That's an interesting thing too. Memory. It's uh, it didn't occur to me, but yeah, that's. Um you know, and there's, there's tons of really interesting research about memory and what's, what's, what, how you, 
how you understand what actually happened through things that maybe didn't really happen and how your memory, your memory banks work and all that kind of stuff. But memory is such another, it's another, you know, it's tied to nostalgia. It's tied to, you know, it's tied to smells. It's tied to, yes. you know, yes. um, you know, those little stories you remember about your, you know, your parents or your siblings or your grandparents or whatever. And it's, um, it's tied to a lot of these things you're thinking about here in your book, I think, mm-hmm. um, because you can get some of these things, um, not just from going out and experiencing nature firsthand, although that is, you know, without doubt important, but you have, you have memories of those experiences too, and you can tie them to, you know, or even, even you experience the live event and you have a memory of something that reminded you of, uh, that this reminds you of. Yes. Well, and the neat thing also is that our brains can't tell the difference between living an event and remembering an event. We still get the same feel-good neurotransmitters firing, and the brain can't tell the difference. Whether you, So that's why visualization is so powerful. Mm-hmm. One of the techniques that I often use um, with my clients when they're experiencing a difficult moment is to visualize a favorite memory and, and recall it in as much detail as possible. And the brain can't tell if you're actually there or if you're remembering it. It's that's really funny. Powerful. Well, and that's probably why smell is such a such an intense um, trigger. trigger. Yeah, because I, I, I know, you know, if I'm in a bakery somewhere and I smell just sort of, it has to be the right kind of jelly donut, I'm taken right back to Nardone's Bakery. Nardone's, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, or you know, bona pizza or whatever. Yeah, and it's, there's something that's, and it, and it, I feel almost like I have been beamed there, uh, you know, by a Star Trek transporter <laughs> and, uh, and it's, it makes you smile, you know, and, um, it's a very, very intense, uh, connector, I think. And it's funny how the brain works sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a couple of the other things you had in there, I mean, like exercise you talk about and, and, you know, getting out in the world. And uh, the one, the one that you know makes me stop my feet when I got to it reading your book is 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 say no, because uh, it's one I I wrestle with all the time, uh, and I can't be the only one out there because it's in every you know everybody talks about it. you got to learn how to say no and it's hard. <laughs> it is hard and. And like every other chapter in my book, it's not a one and done deal and you don't need to do it again. So even though I wrote about that because I realized the power of saying no, it's still something that I struggle with on a daily basis, especially when you receive pushback from people. Right. And um, as people have a reason for wanting things their way and right. will say things to make you feel guilty or, or whatever. Um, but just, uh, so I just had one uh, experience that, just really helps me help guide my decisions. Um, when I d- did something, I really I wrote about it in the book. I didn't want it to do it, and I ended up feeling terrible that I said yes. And and it was a pivotal moment in my life where you know I still might say yes to things I really don't want to do, right. but there's there's got to be a really good reason. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know how much time I've got left on this earth. I'm going to make the most of it, and I don't right. want any, any regrets. Um, right. So. And, and the other way of looking at it is when I say no to, to something that doesn't serve me or that really, really makes me feel crummy, it opens the door for the person who it's right for to say right. yes. 
because my no could be somebody else's perfect yes. I like that. I like that. That that's going to make it a lot easier for me to say no next time. Yes. <laughs> Cuz you know you think, you know, if you're a pleaser uh and you want to or, or you're a helper and you want to help people and you want to, you know, even if it's family, um you want to be uh hang on one second. Hi, are you coming in? Come in and say hello. Come come in and say hello. This is what I was talking about. That's great. I'm going to say, well, we'll cut this appropriately. Hi. Hi, Aiden. How are you? I'm Peggy. It's nice to meet you, Peggy. Nice I've, to meet you, too. I've known Peggy since we were about five, six. <laughs> yeah, kindergarten, right? You were, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so younger than you. <laughs> and she just wrote a book that we're talking about now and uh, it's really awesome I'll let you read it if you learn a few of these things now it's going to help you later yes <laughs> um, oh, go ahead. Um, hello my name is Aiden nice to meet you Aiden nice to meet you Peggy okay. did mommy make the presents um, or is she on her way out she will be she's on her way out okay um, well, it was really nice meeting you. <laughs> nice meeting you, too. Thanks for saying hello. Okay. Bye. <laughs> so, uh, that's my life all the time. Yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, I it's funny. It's And I'm going to have to read, flip through your book again and, and see which of these apply, this applies to. But it was, I was really... You know, you get anxious about it. It's like, no, we can't. No, go away. Or the dog's barking or whatever. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know what? No, we're all doing the same thing. We're all here, you know, having meetings in places we don't really want to be for meetings. Or, or you know, we can't control our image <laughs> the, way, the way maybe we think we can. Right, right. Uh, I, started, I started saying, yeah, come on and say hello. That's it. Don't, don't be here forever, but say hello. That's great. It was, it was really fun because I, I did – the, the interview I did with Greg Johnson, uh, the astronaut, uh, he got to talk to the astronaut. Oh, wow. Exciting. <laughs> Very um, cool. But anyway, um, speaking of dogs, also. Um, so, yeah, so saying no. So, yeah, I can't, I can't say no. I can't say no to him. That's it. <laughs> And so, I mean, this is kind of like asking, you know, a favorite child question, I guess. But, you know, you have – there are 36 of them. Uh, are there any any that – you know, I mean, I'm sure they stand out uh, at different times on any given day. Um, you know, but anything you find, you know, particularly helpful these days? Yes, and that – and it's it sounds strange, but it's the chapter on acknowledging and allowing – for painful emotions, which is a strange thing to say when I'm talking about a book about happiness and joy. <laughs> but I almost view it as a prerequisite. And I think it's a really important to talk about now because right now there is so much tragedy. There is so much loss, right. loss of life, loss of uh, regular daily routine. And many people are reacting to that by numbing themselves as a method of self-protection. So that is why I feel that it's so important to acknowledge painful emotions, as awful as it might be. It's right. almost like a 
prerequisite in order to be able to feel the full intensity of joy. Right. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. No, I, I, that's, that was, a, that was a surprising answer. I like that though. Um, because I, we were talking earlier before we started recording, you know, sort of the Irishness of things and just, you know, for whatever reason, it seems I've been having a lot of Irish conversations lately. And I, you know, I like to say, you know, the Irish have a, a, a truly genuine, uh, graveside manner. Um, you know, and that's a joke, of course, but it's it's kind of true, is that so much of, of that is sort of inborn, you know, they talk about Irish wakes and, and things like that, where there's, it's, you know, yeah, there's, there, there's intense sadness and loss, but there's a, there's a sort of a celebration of, um, you know, at least in, in terms of a wake, the person you've lost, or, you know, maybe, maybe the thing you've lost, or the, uh, you know, the friend you've lost, because that's another thing, too, there's, with so much anxiety and political anxiety and political argument going on people are losing friends all over the place uh you know whatever intensely held belief you may have um it's not helpful sometimes right right and i think that it's really important to um respect other people's point of view and not uh people put anybody down and to not and to not lose friendships over an argument on facebook Right. No, it's true. That's true. Well, and that's another thing too, because it's, I, and I wonder, you know, technology, we were talking about how um, the ATMs uh, drove people away from, or attracted people away from the, uh, the, the tellers. Technology has a way of trying to replace uh, or streamline, um, you know, what? Um, things we do every day, make things easier. But what it doesn't, maybe unintentionally, what it does is it, it streamlines human experience, too. Um, so, you know, you don't go to the teller, you go to the ATM, you, uh, or the drive-through, which is not the same as, as talking to someone directly. Um, or, you know, Facebook, I can just type away, you know, you make me so angry, blah, 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 and send it off, and it, it doesn't have the same connection you don't have as much at stake typing how angry you are as you do saying it to their face. Right. And, and then also on the positive side that the, the, the depth of the connection when it's done through technology is not the same as meeting in person. True. So these things are, they are helpful for connecting, but they, people should just be mindful of not having it be a replacement for other ways of connecting. And unfortunately due to be, because it's so easy. Right that's often what happens and uh and to no fault of our own we've become addicted to our phones right so one of the strategies is when you feel that you're you know whipping out your phone what's the purpose and what can you do as an alternative so if it's to feel connected and less lonely then call someone instead make a plan to get together for coffee or a walk to right. fill to fill that need rather than a quick scroll on facebook or or whatever it is so I don't believe that those things are inherently bad, but right. it's when they are serve as a replacement for what might better serve us. That's when we get into trouble, right? And end up feeling worse than um, than before. Right, right. And it's it's funny because I, I tend to think of things like um, you know I, I it, it kind of maps to age too. It maps to how old you are. Uh, as to what type of, of technology you choose to use for what type of communi- communication. 
but um, you know, I run into people who do do business communication by text all the time, and that drives me up the wall. I can't, you know, t- texting is like, you know, remember to pick up the milk at the store, or you know, or some or something goofy or silly, pass a joke along. It's not for sort of important business communication in my head. Yes, yes. I am, I am, you know, people disagree with me on that. So um, yeah, it's it's it's. Um, it's interesting, but it's, it's, it's so much of what you talk about is, is really making that, con- that human connection uh, either to yourself or others um, and recognizing that. And I think that's really intensely interesting to me. And, and I love the book. I think it's fantastic. You ask, um, you know, there, some of the others are like, read, you know, and I'm like, read what? You know, do you want to read, you know, anything, I guess, you know, because I, I love reading. I love any kind of story, whether it's historical or um you know, fictional. Right. And I, and I, uh, as I mentioned before, how my publisher challenged me to find related research. So that, that chapter started with just knowing that when I was on that hammock in the Poconos swinging amongst the ferns, I felt great. I remember even uh, as a young kid reading Amityville horror. I don't know why I was drawn to horror books, as right. a kid, but that's what I would read and Stephen King. Yeah. Um, but it just took me out of, reality and brought me it just transported me to a world where I didn't need to worry about anything and for that brief time of being immersed in a book I didn't need to um, be concerned about maybe not being invited to a birthday party or um, you know just wondering if I had the right clothes on like whatever it was it just whatever age you're at being involved in a book just allows you that time and space to escape your worries of the day. Well, it does. It's funny because the the biggest, um, they, one of the biggest things uh, that people did, or the one thing they wouldn't give up, um, in the midst, in the deepest depths of the Great Depression, uh, was going to the movies. Americans went to the movies no matter what, and um, I mean the biggest movie year in Hollywood history was 1939. So it's pre-World War II, you know, uh, still recovering from the, the Great Depression. Um, but they made, Hollywood made 300 movies that year. And people went to the movies all the time. And it was a way, uh, they like to say it's a way of escape, but I think it's more, this is what, more what you're talking about here, is that it's even connecting to those memories and that, you know, seeing a different world from the one that you're in and it's not just escapism. It's like, no, really, this is a story about someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it takes your brain out of you for mm-hmm. a moment. Mm-hmm. And then the other uh, in, in, interesting piece of information that I picked up in doing the research about the, the power of reading um, is that it actually helps to develop empathy, when we, especially fiction. When we're re- reading fiction, that we develop empathy for the protagonist and other characters. So um, it's a wonderful way for children to not only entertain themselves, but develop a lifelong, really helpful skill of empathy, right. having empathy. And yeah, and we know how important that is these yes. days. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably the, uh, the, the number one most helpful characteristic to have, both in um, personal fulfillment and actually related to to have yeah. empathy. Wow, fantastic. Um, you know, and you t- the other one that kind of jumped out at me was speak your truth. Um, tell me, tell me what that means to you. 
uh, just that means be who you are and stop pretending to be someone you're not. Um, and that I, I love the saying, your vibe will attract your tribe. That once you allow yourself to be authentic, it will attract the right people into your life that make you feel good um, rather than having to um, pretend and be who you really aren't, which can um, just feel so uh, oppressive and, and awful. Right. Wow. So that, like, that is true freedom. And I think it comes along with not caring what people think, which was another one of a tremendous lesson from my father, especially when he wore that clown wig. Right. And, <laughs> and I keep it in my, I keep that picture of him skiing in his clown wig right. in my wallet as a reminder to not care what people think because right. that, that is true freedom. Um, but it, it comes with, uh, it, I think it requires courage and vulnerability right. in order uh, to allow yourself to be your authentic self. Right. Once you experience the benefit, it just makes you want to do it more and more and more. Right. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, cause I, in my business, we, I talk about being authentic a lot and, and, you know, cause you're, usually talking about communicating about someone's business or whatever. So you want that authenticity and they have a, a lot of times they have a hard time sort of understanding what that means. And I said, no, it's just, just, you know, be who you are, you know? I mean, cause if you're, you know, if you're the face of this business, your business, your face is part of that business and how people understand what the value of what you do. And so if you're trying to pretend to be, you know, you're wearing a black turtleneck and trying to be Steve jobs or you're, you're, you know, dressing some other way to try and be some other business leader, you got to be yourself, you know, and if you're not, people will see it. They will know. They can't, you can't hide that from people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's tricky because one of our um, greatest human longings is to belong. To, right. to The sense of belonging is very powerful and sometimes it can uh, cause us trouble when we are not our authentic selves simply to have that sense of belonging. Right. Um, but just to trust that eventually it will come when you, and then be even more gratifying when it's your, your true authentic self speaking your truth and being who you really are right. with the right people. Right. Well, and that's, you know, uh, that idea that, you know, no matter how weird you may think you are or how, how unique you think your experience is, um, you're not alone. Yes. Mm -hmm. You're not the only one who's ever been through this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's, and that's the last one I want to just sort of ask about is, um, you talk about ask, ask what you want out of life. Yes. And I think that, um, sometimes it, it, people are really clear at, uh, at a young age what they want and other times it could come midlife. But first of all, I think it comes, it starts with permission and giving yourself permission to ask for what you want out of life right. and, that it, and that it's not selfish for it to involve joy because the more joyful we are and the more loving we are, the more we bring that to the world and everybody that we interact with. Right. Um, but it, it, for, for many people, um, they, they either feel they don't deserve it in some way or it's selfish. Right. So, Overcoming those stories that we may have told ourselves or been told as children, I right. think um, that's part of overcoming uh, any you know any barriers or obstacles if, to be able to ask for what you want in life, right. um, and and just let other people know um, that 
most people want to help, but they can't if you don't know, if, if they can't, if they don't know what you're asking for. So that's been huge for me in this uh, professional development for me in the past few years, just letting people know what my goals and my desires are so that when they, you know, something opportunity might pop up for them, they're able to make the connection because I've told them what my goals and, and my desires are. Right. Right. That's cool. Um, you know, it's a, there's a lot, there's so much in this, in this book. It's a great book. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to read it over and over again because there's a lot of things to remind you. It's, they're, they're almost like um, habits to get into, you know? Yeah. Yes. Um, well, I, and I like the word uh, practice. They're, 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 and it doesn't have to be a daily practice, but these are all practices that work during difficult times. Right. Um, and I like that each chapter is short so that, uh, you know, I like things in chunks right. uh, because I don't have a whole lot of time to read when I sit down to read. So, but I like to finish things. Right. So, so, so I like that if anyone's like me, they can just pick a chapter and finish it and get a, um, a really inspirational idea to use for that day or the next day. Um, right. that, that you can flip through the table of contents, see what jumps out at you, and, and try something for that day. That it's not a book that you have to read in its entirety in order to reap the benefits. That you right. can pick up a little bit here and there and then pick it up again in a year from now, pick it up again in 10 years from now. That's that's terrific, and and you know I urge anybody listening, whoever's listening, <laughs> to uh, uh, to check it out because uh, it is it is definitely worth it. We will have the information in the show notes uh, or a link to your site and all that and where to get the book. Um, but uh, so I again I just I really enjoyed the book. I think it's terrific. Uh, thank you in, in the spirit of what you do for a living. I am grateful that you uh, took the time to talk to me about this. Well, thank you so much for having me, Miles. <laughs> it's my pleasure. So that's Dr. Peggy DeLong talking about the practice of joy in her new book. It really is a terrific read, and I highly recommend you pick up a copy. And it comes with a free, uh, year's free membership in her companion community. If you're having a downtime or feeling down, this is a great thing to think about. If you're feeling good, it's still a great way to think about the world. All the info is in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed the chat. I certainly did. Thanks for listening, and be careful out there. If you find yourself enjoying the Story Forge, please give us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you listen to these things. It helps others find the show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you do. All recording, editing, and executive producing tasks are handled by yours truly, Lyle Smith of Nimblesmith, the content marketing agency. This podcast would not be possible without the sincerely excellent help of our friend and associate producer, Anthony Sergi, who produces numerous podcasts, including the truly wonderful A Guest in the House about all things hip-hop. You can email us at cheers at nimblesmith.com, spelled N-Y-M-B-L-E-S-M-I-T-H dot com. Thanks for listening.